First Baptist Melbourne podcast, making disciples here and everywhere for the glory of God. So good to be back uh, to preach in this pulpit. Uh, I'm reminded, uh, as I will be preaching for three times today, uh, how back before 2000, there were seven straight years we did three services in the morning and preached on Sunday night. And uh, that's when I started losing my hair and uh, all that. But I hope that Scott doesn't have to spend seven years doing this. I hope that our building plans will progress, move forward, uh, that we'll be in a, a new worship center within a few years. If you have your Bibles, would you open them to Matthew chapter 15 and just hold it there for a moment. It's on page 865 in my Bible. Uh, but it will be on the screen in just a moment. I want to ask you to use your imagination just a little bit as we begin and think of two scenarios. The first scene is uh, one where you're just kind of moving along, doing your normal thing, and all of a sudden you do something or say something that is so totally uncharacteristic of a Christian uh, and a Christian's life. Uh, you may have an outburst of temper. You may um, uh, have a lustful thought. You may have a uh, a spirit of greed or selfishness. And you ask yourself, where did that come from? And that's not me. But uh, the truth is, yes, it is you. <laughs> and it comes from your heart. Because all evil comes and originates in our heart. The second scene is I want you to imagine that God could put a stethoscope that had a uh, recording device on your heart. And he would record everything you thought or said or did since 2018 began. And then he would announce that in three minutes on these two screens right here, this recording is going to show for everybody in this room to see what you thought and what you said, what you did in 2018. I dare say that most of us would be looking for the exits because we don't want people to know uh, what is in our hearts. And uh, Jesus addresses this subject of the heart in this passage that we're going to look at today. The title of my message is The Heart of the Problem is a Problem of the Heart. It's not original. It's a title of a book by Henry Brandt, who was a counselor with uh, Campus Crusade for many years. And uh, I really like it. But I want us to read this passage, and uh, it'll be familiar to you, beginning in verse 1 of Matthew 15. Then the scribes and the Pharisees who were from Jerusalem came to Jesus saying, Why do your disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat bread. And Jesus answered and said to them, Why do you also transgress the commandment of God because of your tradition? For God commanded saying, Honor your father and your mother, and he who cursed his father and mother, let him be put to death. But you say, Whoever says to his father and mother, Whatever profit you might have received from me is a gift to God, that he need not honor his father or mother. Thus you've made the commandment of God of no effect by your tradition. Hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy about you, saying, These people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men." When he had called the multitude to himself, he said to them, Hear and understand, not what goes into the mouth defiles a man, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a man. Then his disciples came and said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? 
But he answered and said, Every plant which my heavenly Father has not planted will be uprooted. Let them alone. They are blind leaders of the blind. And if the blind leads the blind, both will fall into a ditch. And then Peter answered and said to him, Explain this parable to us. So Jesus said, Are you also without understanding? Do you not yet understand that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and is eliminated? But those things which proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, and they defile a man. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man, but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile a man. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for this portion of your word. And I pray that your spirit would take it and apply it to our hearts and our lives today. I thank you, Lord, for each one that's here. We know it's no accident that any is here. And Lord, you brought us here for a purpose. And I pray that you would open our minds and our hearts to that message you have for us. And I pray, Lord, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. And I pray this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen and amen. Twice in this passage, Jesus speaks about the heart. The first time he talks about the Pharisees, the religious leaders who uh, were the most religious people of Jesus' day. And yet he said, though they speak with their lips, they say the right words, their heart is far from me. And it's a picture of sometimes when we come to worship and we can sing with gusto and we can smile broadly so that everybody thinks everything's okay, but our heart is not in tune with God. We're not really there or here when we come to worship. But it's a second portion in verses 18 through 20 that I want us to focus on this morning as he reminds them, as they were worried about the disciples not washing their hands and therefore defiling themselves when they ate, ate uh, he said, it's not what uh, is on the outside that defiles a man. It's what uh, is in the heart. And out of the heart proceed all these kinds of sins. In fact, all sin originates in the heart. It's like we're a factory that's producing sin uh, in our life. And so uh, he speaks of the heart. Now, when he speaks of the heart, what is he talking about? It, obviously, it's not this uh, organ right here that's beating and pumping blood. The Bible refers to the heart 826 times uh, throughout uh, the Old and New Testament and it speaks of the heart as the core of a person's being. That is, uh, uh, Proverbs 4.23 says, Out of the heart are all the issues of life. It's the source of life. And from the heart proceed uh, good thoughts and uh, bad thoughts, emotions, behaviors. And in Scripture, the heart and the mind are often interchangeable. And uh, your heart, your mind are part of the soul, the core of you that's going to keep on going and being for all eternity. And so uh, we're going to look at these 826 verses on the heart. <laughs> not really, not really, just a few. But uh, we want to learn about the nature of the heart today. And so we're going to put God's stethoscope on this heart and uh, reveal four truths about the heart for us to consider today. And the first truth I want you to see is the heart is deranged. The heart is deranged. And that's what uh, the heart of what Jesus is saying in verses 18 through 20, uh, that the heart, uh, out of the heart come all kinds of evil, all kinds of sin. 
And uh, this is certainly not anything new because as you open the pages of the Bible, beginning in Genesis, you don't have to flip but just a few pages over and you find that the first couple who were created in this pure environment to reveal to us the environment is not what makes us good and right. Uh, they had a heart of disobedience as they disobeyed God and ate of the fruit that God had forbidden. Their first son, Cain, had evil in his heart. He hated his brother and rose up, and that led to murder. And then you look over in Genesis 6, 5, in the time of Noah. By this time, the world had become desperately wicked, and God, the Lord God saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And this was God's description of the world in Noah's day. The prophet Jeremiah uh, says in Jeremiah 17, 9 through 10, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind, even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doings. And so all throughout the Old Testament, we see this picture of the desperate uh, condition of the heart. It doesn't change a lot after Jesus comes. And in Ephesians chapter 4, Paul talks about this. He says in verse 17, This I say therefore and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that's in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanness and greediness." And so, again, Paul affirms that the heart is desperately wicked. And uh, the truth is that we sin. Uh, we're not sinners because we sin. We sin because we're sinners. And uh, this is uh, the truth that we need to come to grips with. Uh, a question that I was often asked when I was a pastor by parents. How old does my child have to be before they can become a Christian? And my standard answer was this. Your child needs to be old enough to know they have sinned and understand the consequences of sin. And uh, that comes at different ages for different children. But I know in my own life at age seven, I knew I was a sinner. I had lied, I had stolen, and I had disobeyed my parents. To, to, that was the minimum. Okay, the three out of the top 10, <laughs> three out of the top 10. And uh, I knew I was a sinner. And, uh, and I knew I needed a Savior. Once I knew I'd sinned, I knew I needed a Savior. And so uh, John Wesley, uh, it was said that when he would come to a village in England, that he would preach several messages on the law and how we had sinned against the law, how we had broken the law. And then he would come back with a message of the gospel of grace, God's forgiveness of sin, and God offering a new life in Christ. And so the first thing about the heart is the heart is deranged. Now, I know that uh, some of you might be saying in your heart, well, I may be bad, but I'm not that bad. <laughs> I'm not as bad as Pastor Scott, you know, or, or you, may, you mentioned somebody else. Uh, but uh, every one of us, we might like to think that we are a little fuzzy squirrel. We're not a rat, you know. But all of us have a heart problem. Amen? Amen? We have a heart problem. And so the heart is deranged, and God knew the wickedness and the hopelessness of our hearts, 
And therefore, we see the second truth is the possibility of a changed heart. And uh, in uh, Ezekiel, we find uh, the prophet speaking to the Jews in exile. And he says this in uh, chapter 36, verse 24 through 27. He says, and I, w- I will take you from among the nations, gather you out of the countries and bring you into your own land. And then I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from your idols. And listen to this. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you shall keep my testaments and do them. And so the truth is that our heart is too sinful to exist in the purity and the holiness of heaven. Uh, We couldn't exist there in the presence of a holy God. Uh, We don't need a band-aid like uh, education or uh, reformation, thinking if I just do enough good things, I'll be fit for heaven. No, we need a transformation. We need something drastic. We need a heart transplant, uh, a, a change from above in order for our hearts to be ready for heaven. And I love 2 Corinthians 5, 17. It says, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. And right after that verse is that amazing verse, verse 21, that speaks about the, the, this, this incredible heart transplant that God offers to all of us. He says that uh, he, for he, God, made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Now think about that just a moment. God says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do a transplant. I'm going to take your wicked, sorry heart, and, and I'm going to put it aside, and I'm going to take the perfect, righteous, holy heart of Jesus, and I'm going to put him in your heart. Is that amazing or what? I think that Jesus would, would take my ugly, awful heart and give me his precious, holy heart in his place. And that's, uh, that's even more incredible than, say, the heart of Mother Teresa being put in Adolf Hitler's heart. Uh, more than that, uh, the heart of the Son of God being transplanted into our heart and him taking us in. Now, when I was seven years old and heard the, uh, John 3.16, and a pastor explained that Jesus died for the world, and that world included me, and realized for the first time that it was for my sin that he died. He died in my place. That's what made me want to turn to Jesus, and it has forever changed my life. And the Bible speaks of the place of the heart in conversion. Uh, There are two passages of Scripture, we don't have to look at these, but in in Acts chapter 2 at Pentecost, after Peter begins sharing about Jesus and how the Jews were guilty of uh, uh, forcing Jesus to the cross and and crucifying Him, uh, the Bible says that they were cut to the heart and they asked the question, what must we do uh, in light of this? And, uh, and, of course, then Peter says, repent and, and be baptized for the remission of sin and, and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. In Acts 7, you find that Stephen, the deacon, one of the first deacons, uh, is preaching a message to the Sanhedrin, uh, the same group that crucified Jesus. And when he finishes, he's pointing the finger at them, accusing them of, of crucifying Jesus and calling them uncircumcised and stiff-necked. Uh, rebels against God, and they're furious. And the Bible uses the same expression, 
They were cut to the heart and they rushed at him and they stoned him. Now, the same expression, they were cut to the heart. Now, what happens when the Holy Spirit comes with conviction to the heart? We have a choice. We can either turn in repentance from our sin to Jesus, or we can reject him and say, I don't want this. This is not for me. I'll do my own thing. And that's the choice we all have today, to either to receive through repentance or to reject the wooing of the Holy Spirit in our life. In Romans 10, 9 and 10 speaks of the place of the heart. If we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead, we shall be saved. For with the heart, man believes to righteousness and with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. And so the heart is, is paramount in this, in this uh, transformation that needs to play, this change that needs to take place uh, we believe in our heart, confess with our mouth, and all of us need a heart transplant at some time or another. I know that most of you in this room have already received that heart transplant where you've invited Christ into your life. But all of us are in constant need of a, trans, uh, a, a, a change life. I love that little chorus, change my heart, O God, make it ever true. Change my heart, O God, may I be like you. Change my heart, O God, make it ever true. Change my heart, O God, may I be like you. You are the potter, I am the clay. Mold me and make me, this is what I pray. Change my heart, O God, make it ever true. Change my heart, O God, may I be like you. And I hope that's your prayer this morning. Lord, change my heart, change my heart, make it more like you. But once our heart is changed, we also recognize there's much more. And so the third truth about the heart is that we need an exchanged heart, an exchanged heart. And uh, we learn very quickly that the Christian life is not hard and it's not difficult. Is that true? <laughs> no, the truth is it's impossible. You cannot, you know, a lot of new Christians come to a stone wall thinking that I, I give my life to Christ, everything's gonna be hunky-dory, <laughs> but it's not. You know, they immediately find out it's harder than it was when they were totally ignoring the Word of God and ignoring Christ. The truth is we need a supernatural life that can only be had when we exchange our life for Christ's life. And that's what Paul says in Galatians 2.20, that I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And so Paul knew this exchange life uh, with Christ. And Jesus made a promise to his disciples the night before he went to the cross in John 14, 23. He says, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. Now, you know, I hear people all the time say, you know, don't, don't, don't talk about Jesus in your heart. Jesus in your heart. Well, you know, this verse here talks about Jesus and God coming to live in our lives. Now, whether you call it your heart or whatever, he's living in us and with it, within us. In 1 Corinthians 6, 9, uh, 19 and 20, Paul says much the same thing. He says, what? Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you and you're not your own because you've been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are Christ." He says, the Spirit of God, you are a walking church. You're a walking temple of the Holy Spirit living inside you. And, and Jesus and the Father, the whole Trinity 
is with us all the time. And folks, this is the necessity, this is the key uh, to victory in the Christian's life, the indwelling presence of Christ in our life. We cannot do it in our own strength, in our own flesh. There, 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 too many of us are what I would call spiritual tweener. You know what a tweener is? What is a tweener? It's defined age-wise, someone is what? 10 to 12, before they get to the, tween, the teens, okay? They're a tweener. Well, a spiritual tweener is someone who has Christ in their life, but uh, uh, they're like the children of Israel. They, they've been set free from slavery in Egypt, but they're not yet in the promised land. They're wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. And, and, and the Christian is one who knows the truth of the crucifixion. They know the, uh, that Christ died for their sins. They've accepted that truth. However, they've not discovered the power over here of the resurrection. They're living between Good Friday and Resurrection Sunday. They've never known the discovery that Jesus is alive in them and wanting to live out his life through us in a supernatural way. I want you to turn, if you would, to Romans chapter 6. One of the clearest, uh, I believe, explanations of this truth of the necessity of both the crucifixion and the resurrection in our life, beginning with verse 3. He says, Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? So he's going to speak about the death. And baptism is a picture of death to the old life, being raised to walk in a new life as Christ was was uh, killed and then buried and resurrected. It says, therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we've been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. Now if we died with Christ, what? We believe we shall also live with him. And in knowing that Christ having been raised from the dead dies no more, death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life that he lives, he lives to God. So here, here's the picture. We have died to sin with Christ, but don't stop there. We have been raised with Christ to live in his resurrection power. And that is the hope and that is the uh, desire that God has for your life and my life, that this exchange takes place, that uh, we, we live not in our power and our strength. Because if we do, if we try to do so, we're going to fail miserably. And, and that's why... Uh, so many Christians know so little about the victorious Christian life. Now, I confess I struggle at times in this. When I revert to living in the flesh and revert to in my own strength, trying to do what I should be relying upon Jesus to do. And, and yet the, I, I know in my head, <laughs> I know the victory is not only in, in, in trusting in what Christ did at the cross, the death to sin in my life, but also that he raised me to walk in a new life. And he gives me the power and he gives me the, the supernatural ability to do what I could not do myself. And he does that for you. So I'm going to ask you the question, have you discovered the exchange life, the exchange heart to take on the heart of Christ? But there's one last truth about the heart that I want us to focus on. And that is 
the, uh, the heart must be constantly rearranged. Heart is deranged. The heart needs to be changed. The heart needs to be exchanged. But then the heart needs to be rearranged. One of my favorite stories in the Old Testament is about King Asa uh, of Judah. King Asa ruled for 41 years. Can you imagine living with Obama or Trump for 41 years as president? Bad news, okay. But, uh, or any guy, any president, all right. But Asa was a man who was described as a God seeker. His father and his grandfather were not God seekers, but he turned the things around in the nation and uh, removed the idols, even got rid of his, his mother who was worshiping idols, uh, or took those idols away from her, but uh, led the nation in revival, great victory over Ethiopian army. But uh, in, in year 36 of his 41-year reign, his heart turned away from the Lord. And uh, he uh, was having trouble with the northern kingdom, Israel, coming against him. And instead of turning to the Lord, seeking God as he did when the Ethiopian army came, he turned to Syria for help. And God sends a prophet to him and uh, questions what he's done and, and, and makes the statement of the warning in chapter 16, verse 9. It says, The eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. Those of you who took Master Life will recognize uh, that, uh, that verse or uh, excuse me, experiencing God, uh, that, that God is, 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 is going all across the world today and he's looking for men and women and youth and children whose heart is loyal toward him. And Proverbs 4, 23 reminds us again that uh, out of the heart are all, or guard your heart, for out of the heart are all the issues of life. And so the question I want to leave us tonight, this morning is, is how do we have a heart loyal to God? How do, how do we keep our heart loyal to God? How do we become a God seeker all of our life? How, how do we guard our heart so that it's always uh, pointed toward Him? And I want to leave seven things with you uh, in conclusion of these, uh, uh, these thoughts on the heart. The first is to pray for God's Spirit to ser search our hearts for anything that's not pleasing to Him. Pray that God would search our hearts for anything that's not pleasing to Him. Psalms 139, 23, 24 says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties. And see if there's any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Uh, in a few moments, I'm going to talk about confession. These two kind of go together. And I was reminded of a time when we were doing some preparation for revival and uh, one of the speakers asked us to sit down and write a, a list of all the sins in our life that we could think of and uh, gave a sheet of paper. And as one, one lady wasn't writing anything down. And so, uh, you know, the pastor turned and said, well, what, what's wrong? What, why aren't you writing? He said, well, I can't think of any sins. And, uh, you know, his response was, well, just keep thinking. It'll come, it'll come. Or ask your mate, they'll tell you, you know, what, what are some of those sins? But uh, again, how, how often in this fast-paced world in which we live do we come before God and say, God, search my heart and reveal the things in my life that are un-Christ-like, that aren't, uh, aren't Jesus? You know, I, I think sometimes we just don't ever pause long enough to let God put that piercing searchlight of His Spirit upon our life to reveal the, the attitudes and the, the actions 
that are displeasing to him. So the first thing is to pray for God's spirit to search our hearts. The second thing is check our heart next to the word of God. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is the discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And folks, yeah, years ago, I had written in the flyleaf of my Bible, God's word will keep you from sin, or sin will keep you from God's word. And the thing is, when you read the word of God, and you read about the heroes and their sins, and uh, you hear the commands and the warnings in the word of God, it's like a sword piercing our heart saying, this is, this is an area you need to deal with. And you can't come to the mirror of God's word very often without revealing the sin in our life. And so the word of God is, is a key uh, to check our heart. You know, we might check the, the society around us. Hey, man, I, I check off pretty good next to so-and-so. I'm surely not doing that. I, I wasn't caught in that sin. But, uh, you know, God's not calling us to compare our life next to the world and society or the kid in our classroom. He's calling us to up the straight edge, the perfect, the perfect alignment of the Word of God. And how do we stack up next to the Word of God? Third, spend time with the Lord. That'll do something to your heart. Psalms 27, 14 says, Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and He shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Again, we have to be honest and check our schedules and Say, I'm so busy doing this and so busy doing that. I don't have time to spend time with the Lord. Well, folks, if, you, if that's the case, you're too busy. Uh, the most important uh, need in our life is to come into the presence of God every day and align our hearts with Him. You can't do that uh, in just a few minutes. You need time. And that it becomes a priority in our life. And then confess any sin. Psalm 51.10 says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Many people believe this is uh, the psalm that David prayed after his uh, confrontation with Nathan about his sin with Bathsheba and uh, killing her husband Uriah and uh, praying to God to, to restore to him the joy of his salvation and against thee, thee only have I sinned, but creating me a clean heart. How many times have I prayed that prayer? Have you prayed that prayer? <laughs> because we sin. And we need this creating a new heart within us. And then think of the right things. Don't need to spend a lot of time on this as Pastor Scott preached through Philippians recently. But in chapter 4 he says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. And finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there's any virtue, if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. And the phrase that will guard your heart literally means to put your heart in prison. And uh, we need to surround our heart with some boundaries. We need to imprison them so that we can focus on the right things. I have a friend that we were talking about the struggles we have sometimes with our thought life. And, uh, you know, we, we were talking about, you, you can't just say, I'm not going to think about this. And if I tell you right now, don't think about pink elephants. Whatever you do, don't think about pink elephants. Every one of you is thinking about pink elephants right now. Okay. 
But instead of that, you have to replace it with something positive. That's what Paul is talking about here. Think about things that are holy and things that are pure, things that are just, things that are noble. Uh, and and to, so to, 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 to guard your heart is to think of right things. And this number six is so important. Invest your treasure in eternal things. I love this passage, Matthew 6, 20 through 21 says, lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. When I was a young pastor, I used to hate to preach on money uh, because I really believe that when people's hearts were right, they would give. And then I discovered this passage that, no, that, that's backwards. The Bible says where your treasure is, your heart's going to follow. And, and, you know, if, if you think of your giving to the Lord, you know, the more you give to him, the more your heart is going to follow as far as I'm interested because that's where my money is going. I'm interested in missions. I'm interested in what's happening in the Lord's work. And so your heart follows your treasure. And he talks about investing in eternal matters, things that will last, that will be in heaven. And then uh, work on your love life with the Lord. Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven. 37, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And this speaks of a growing intimacy in our heart relationship with God, uh, that we don't stay static. We're not the same in our love relationship in marriage that we were when we first got married. We're growing in that love relationship. We spend time with each other. We talk to one another. We care about one another. And, and with the Lord, there needs to be a growing intimacy in our love life. Kay Arthur was sharing a time where her and her husband were watching a document, documentary on TV on, on a, a heart transplant. <clears throat> and the doctor had taken two hearts and they were set on the table <clears throat> and they were laid side by side. They were beating with different rhythms. And gradually he brought the two hearts together so that the flesh touched and immediately the two hearts began to beat with one rhythm. And... Uh, he said that's a, it's a beautiful picture of the intimacy that God wants to have with each of us. That uh, as our hearts touch the Father's heart, we assume the same rhythm, the same desires, and the same goals. And the more we know Him, the more we love Him, and hopelessly in love with Him, our goals are lost in His. And this is the love relationship that God wants us to have, our heart with His heart. Now, the truth is we have a heart problem today that it can only be cured by God. He sent his son to die in our place to change our heart. He gives us the Lord Jesus Christ, the living Lord Jesus Christ, this exchange so that we can live this supernatural life. And you know, God is still searching for men and women today who are loyal to his heart. And I wonder the question today, are you that man? Are you that woman? Are you that young person? Are you that child who has a heart that is loyal to God, that's seeking Him to love Him with all your heart, all your mind, and all your soul? Amen. Father, thank you so much for what you want to teach us about the heart. Lord, I know that my heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Even after knowing you for 60-something years, Lord, I still struggle in this issue. And, and Lord, I, I pray for a heart that would be loyal toward you, a heart that would be sold out and committed to you. I pray that for each one here today. I pray for the person that has never had a changed heart 
Realize that without that change, we cannot go to heaven. Without that change, we cannot be the man or woman that you want us to be. I pray that someone today would come and say, I need that change. And uh, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would convict and point out the sin and the need for a Savior. And they'd come in simple faith, trusting. I want to believe in my heart and confess with my mouth the Lord Jesus today to Pastor Scott. And Father, that they would make that choice public. And Father, I pray that you would uh, be uh, changing our hearts constantly to be more like Jesus. For this is our prayer in his name. Amen.